turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. When you encounter God, it always marks a new beginning. If you truly encounter God, you don't walk away the same. No, you walk away a different person because you've encountered one who changes us. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I grew up listening to the Dr. Pepper theme song. I still love Dr. Pepper, but I prefer Diet Dr. Pepper now. But some of you remember it said, I'm a pepper, he's a pepper, she's a pepper, we're a pepper. Wouldn't you like to? Yeah, you know that song too. Well, the Bible says that I'm a sinner, he's a sinner, she's a sinner. Sorry, we're all sinners. We don't like it that we're sinners, but that is who we are. We're sinners by nature, we're sinners by choice. In this passage, we see three groups of sinners. We see the Pharaoh. Now, it's easy to understand he's a sinner because we keep getting told he's hardened his heart to God. And some of you actually have something in common with the Pharaoh. You've come into church or you're watching today. And yet you've hardened your heart. You really have no intent of responding to God's way because you're stuck in your way and that's sin. Then we see the Egyptians. And the Egyptians, we know they're sinners because they have thousands of gods with a little g. And so they've rejected God, the one true God, and they're following after their own way. But in this passage, we see that God's chosen people. They're sinners too. Just like those of us who might come to church and we might have a relationship with Christ, but we're still sinners. The chosen people were sinners, and we know that because they rejected the words of Moses. They were obstinate. Uh, They were also idolatrous. Now, as we continue to watch the story of the children of Israel, we see that while Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, what are the children of Israel doing? They're building a false god. And in Joshua, in chapter 24, it talks about that. It says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, put away the gods your father served beyond the river and in Egypt. So the children of Israel, they were eat up with sin. And here's what the Bible teaches. Sin is costly. Sin always costs you more than you want to pay. It always takes you further than you want to go. And it always keeps you longer than you want to stay. Sin's so costly, it costs life. I told you Romans 3.23, all of us are sinners. Romans 6.23 says the wages, the payment, the cost for sin is what? It's death. If sin is going to be judged, and remember God is executing judgment here in Exodus chapter 12. If sin is going to be judged, the only righteous judgment is death. And that's going to bring us to our second truth. 
the second sub point. So remember our main thing, right? We're stained by sin, but we're marked by grace through the blood of Jesus. And it's God's grace received through faith that frees us up to live for his glory. We're marked by grace. I I want you to say this. Say, I've been marked. Say that. There's an interesting thing that happens. If you look back in chapter 11, Moses is saying to Pharaoh, hey, you're going to see that the children of Israel, those you've enslaved, you're going to see that they are distinct as a people. And it's a word that literally means marked. So God has always been in the habit of marking his people. He wants us to look different. That's why it's so significant for the church that we don't just blend into the world but that we stand out. That's what it means to be holy. You're, you're set apart. You're different than. God is different from us because he is holy. As we strive for holiness, we are different from the world. That's why as I battle with sin, battle doing things my way, I have to turn and do things his way. How does God mark us? Well, listen to this truth. Someone has to die as a result of my sin. It's either going to be me or my substitute. And what we learn here in Exodus 12 is that God's way has always been to substitute the death of something else so that you don't have to experience his punishment. Now, why? Why would God do that? Because God loves you. I want you to hear that today. God could never love you more than he loves you today. And he will never, ever, no, not ever love you less. In his mercy, by his grace, God provides a substitute for our sin. He does that for us and he did that for the Israelites. If they wanted to be passed over in this judgment where every firstborn being, not just humans, even the firstborn animals, he says, are going to die on this night. If they want to pass over and not experience that death, the only way to do that is through the substitute of a lamb. That's, that's described a little more clearly in Leviticus chapter 22. If it's to be accepted for you, it shall be a male without blemish of the bulls or the sheep or the goats. You shall not offer anything that has blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And when anyone offers a sacrifice of peace offering for the Lord to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering from the herd or from the flock to be accepted, it must be perfect. There shall be no blemish. Do you get the point? It has to be perfect. That was the case with the lamb at the Passover. And that would become the case for the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. God's way for covering sin has always been a lamb. Let me take you back to the garden. We said that our grandparents, Adam and Eve, they sinned. When they figured out they sinned, what did they do? They covered themselves. How did they cover themselves? With a fig leaf. I mean, just think about that. Big fig leaves, I imagine. Itchy fig leaves, I imagine. So God says, I don't think that's cutting it. It may not have even been covering it, if you know what I mean. So God then covered them with what? The skin of an animal. You know what most theologians think the animal was? A lamb. We see the significance because when their children are born and they begin to live out that faith life, When they begin to relate to God, Cain and Abel, Cain comes to God and brings him an offering of what? 
fruit, vegetables, the things of the land. Abel brings what? An animal. Theologians believe that was a lamb. So for Adam and Eve, one lamb covers one person, right? A lamb skin covered Adam, a lamb skin covered Eve. By the time we get to Egypt, at the Passover in Exodus 12, one lamb is covering one family. Later on, God would come and he would establish what we now know as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On that day, the high priest would sacrifice a lamb and the blood of that lamb would be sprinkled over a mercy seat. And when the blood of the lamb was sprinkled over the mercy seat, that blood would cover a whole nation, a family, an individual, a family, a nation. And then we have this occurrence with John the Baptist in John 1, 29. It says the next day... (laughs) He saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It began with an individual. It went to a family. It moved to a nation. And when Jesus showed up, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Praise his name. What was God saying? If you want to be made right, It's always going to come back to the blood of a lamb. So God's question for you is the same question young Isaac asked Abraham. You remember that story, right? Abraham's taking his boy because God told him to sacrifice his boy. So Abraham says, okay, buddy, let's go on a hike. They go up to the mount. But Isaac's looking around. He says, hey, dad, we're here for a sacrifice, but I got a question. What's the question, son? He says, hey, where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide the lamb. See, I I think we've got to understand there's going to be a day where death passes over us. And in that moment, we're going to be asked, okay, where's the lamb? (laughs) Oh, you're not going to believe this, God. I went to church all the time. I I was a greeter. I I worked in the ministry. I might have even been a deacon. I might have even been a minister. And he said, no, 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 no. You misunderstood the question. Where's the lamb? Oh, I, I, I see what you got. God, God, I did my best. I pulled myself up from the bootstraps. I mean, life was tough, and I blew it some, but I, I tried to do good. And, and he will say, no. Where's the lamb? 20 years ago, I learned a thing called evangelism explosion. And as we learned this method for sharing our faith, one of the things we would do would ask some probing questions. And one of the questions we were to ask, if you were to die today and you were standing before God in heaven and he would to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And, and that probing diagnostic question causes us to think, all right, what is the basis for which I think I can have a relationship with God? And, and I would just say to you, if you think your relationship with God has anything to do with you, other than you responding to the grace of God through faith, you're missing what he teaches from the beginning of the book. Because what God wants to know is, what role does my lamb play in your being here? 
Now let's follow the story throughout Scripture. What does it say? Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he not opened his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Who's it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, cleanse out the old leaven that, that you may be a new lump. Or are you really, or, or, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Revelation 13, 8, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who was slain. Do you get it? Jesus is God's lamb. Do you understand that, church? Jesus is the Lamb of God. When the Israelites were faced with this death angel, God gave them a way out. He told them, this is how you can be passed over. You get this perfect lamb. You let that lamb be sacrificed. You take the blood from the slaughter of that lamb, and you put it on the doorpost. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son the perfect lamb of God. And Jesus didn't just come as a baby. He lived a perfect, sinless life, unblemished, without spot. And yet he still died on the cross. But he did that to take your punishment, to take my punishment. His blood was shed so that we could have everlasting life. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. We're stained by sin, but we're marked by grace through the blood of Jesus. Do you see that? That's the one thing. It is God's grace received through faith that frees us up to live for his glory. That gives us one more thing we need to remember. God's desire is my salvation. But my salvation, boy, My salvation only comes through his sacrifice. In Exodus 12, God didn't just want a lamb. He wanted a dead lamb. Don't miss that. The wage of sin has always been death. That's why when you look at this passage, though it may not seem cool to read it today when we are so worried about offending everybody everywhere, when you look at this passage, blood is everywhere. You can't read this without, in our day, thinking, man, that's devastating. They kill an animal, and then they take that animal's blood. How unclean, how how unnatural. They take that animal's blood and they put that blood 
on the post of their door. Why? Because that blood told a story. That blood was a reminder that someone else had died for them. It was a reminder to them and a reminder to God. That blood would cause that death angel who would take the firstborn children away. That blood would tell them, skip over this house. The blood told a story. The blood was a sign for God, but it was also a sign for the Israelites. It was a reminder that sin took a life. That sin is costly. When I look in the mirror of God's word and examine my life, and for 25 years as a pastor, when I look at those of us who profess to follow Christ and yet continue to sin, sometimes sin in heinous ways, I can't help but think that we've forgotten that sin takes a life. It's costly. So when they saw the blood from their view, It's a reminder that their sin had been covered. The theological term for that is expiation. That the sacrifice of God covers your sin. When you think about the blood, when we sing songs about the blood, when we experience the Lord's Supper and remember God shed blood, that's what you're remembering. Jesus shed blood covered my sin. It's the only way I can possibly come to God. But when God looked at the blood, the sign on the door, he was reminded that his wrath had been satisfied. And the theological term for that is propitiation. Where the wrath of God was satisfied in the death of Jesus on the cross. This is speaking to what we know as the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He was our substitute. He died in our place. He did what we could never do. When we look at the cross, we're reminded that our payment has been made. When God looks at the cross, he's reminded that his punishment has been achieved. Scripture teaches of this. Romans 5, 9 says, since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Ephesians 1, 7 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sin, according to the riches of grace. Hebrews 13, 12 says, so Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify his own people through his blood. And 1 John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's why in the church we talk and sing about the blood of Jesus. Just think about some of those words. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Sing it if you know it. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus that makes me, that makes me white as snow. How about this one? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, 
wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Or this one. What can wash away my sin? That's right, church. Listen to this. What can make me whole again? Do, do you understand what Scripture is saying to us? That when we are covered, not on our doorposts, but on our lives, when we are covered with the blood of Jesus, God looks at us and he doesn't see our sin that causes us to deserve death. But he sees us clothed in the righteousness of his son. And it changes everything. But if we've never had that moment in our life where we've allowed the blood of Jesus Christ to cover the doorpost of our heart, when God looks at us, all he sees is a loving creation that is deserving his punishment. See, that's how we experience God's forgiveness, his grace. That's why it says in Hebrews 9, 22, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You're not forgiven because God likes you. You're not forgiven because he's looking at your heart and he, he thinks you meant well. You're not forgiven because you tried your best. You're not forgiven because of the family of origin you came from. The only way anyone is ever forgiven is through the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as clearly as the only way that those Israelites were saved was through the blood on their doorpost. If you were to reach in your wallet and take out any cash, which I rarely have in my wallet, you could look at that and you could see the designation on that bill and know its value. But here's something interesting. If you would take that same piece of paper before it was marked with that special ink, and some of you know that that paper is not really paper that is made from trees like the old paper mill did in my hometown. That paper that our currency is on is made of, of cotton and, and linen. And then it's marked with a special ink. But until it's marked with that special ink, it's just paper. But when it's marked, it gains special value. And when our lives are marked with the blood of Jesus, boy, it changes everything. Yes, God loves you, whoever you are, whatever you've done. But until you've been marked with the blood of Jesus, you don't have that relationship with him that makes you one of his children. We're not all God's children. That's not the way the scriptures teach it. Remember what we're learning. We're all stained by sin. But we can be marked by grace through the blood of Jesus. It's God's grace received through faith. That frees us to live for his glory. You know what was happening here at the Passover? God was giving them a do-over. <laughs> he was giving them a reset. Just like he did with Noah. But just a different method. 
He, he was saying, I want you to know how important this is. I'm giving you another opportunity. And, and to make it clear, I'm even changing the calendar. And he does that with you too. He wants to give you a new beginning. He wants to demonstrate his grace. What happens when that takes place? Your future changes. <laughs> if you were to read the rest of this chapter, you would see that these events marked the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt. Their future would change. But you know what God tells them in these verses? Not only does their future change, but the future changes for the generations that follow them. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.